Welcome to Album Clash, the podcast in which we take two albums that share a connection and pit them against each other inside the ring of death. Two albums enter, only one may leave. Metaphorically. This is Album Clash. Hello, this is Album Clash, the It's Indie podcast here. That's all I got. It's nice and short. <laughs> well, I think, you know, I figured I, I went long the other week. So, uh, yeah, we'll go short this time. Good stuff. <laughs> Hello, Kevin. How are you? I am wonderful. How are you? Looking forward to getting into another clash. Oh, yes. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and why, pray tell, Kevin, may I not be looking forward to our clash this week as much as usual? Because we made a fateful decision to do hate listens, and uh, Tim brought two quite horrifically bad albums to the table. I have certainly uh, met the brief. That you have. That you have. (laughs) Uh, So please tell the listeners what albums we're going to be doing this week and in a couple of weeks' time. So we will be doing the Nadir of David Bowie's recording career, Never Let Me Down. Versus, and in two weeks' time, we will be doing arguably the nadir of Bob Dylan's recording career, Down in the Groove. Oh, yes, we will. Um, so yeah, terrible albums from absolute legends of the business, both of which were released in the mid to late 1980s. Yes, and you can tell <laughs> that you can. <laughs> so before we start going through Bowie, however, uh, Kev, well, I'm sure you've got plenty of shite in your head from listening to these two fucking <laughs> albums. <laughs> but apart from that, it can't get you out of my head time. Do you have any shite? I do. Oh, go on. So the other day, uh, we, me and Sam were knocking about the house and I've had an athlete's foot issue for a while. Nice. Samantha um, mentioned to me getting some caniston for for me foot, and I was like, "Sam, I haven't got, I haven't got like toe thrush." <laughs> I was gonna say, "The fuck have you been doing with your feet?" <laughs> <laughs> that would have that would be one for Sarah Ferguson fans. <laughs> Current. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we are nothing but contemporary on uh, album clash. And to be fair, we do an 80s album, so, you know. <laughs> uh, okay, so, yeah, you've got you've got toe herpes, what, and? And Samantha um, responded to this and saying, it's just a little thrush. <laughs> wow, Jennifer Page. Yes, so my bad song was Crushed by Jennifer Page. Oh, my God. Well, there you go. I mean, so once again, it is you and Sam um, applying bad pop music to your everyday lives. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got, to, you've got to bring joy to your life somehow. And um, we, we love a bit of pop, pop appropriation. Uh, well, mine is also a, a shit song from the 90s. Okay, you're going to have to explain and there are there are two there are two reasons for this. I mean, it's it's nothing as as uh, as ethereal as you as yours. There are two related reasons for this. So, uh, viewers in the UK, viewers, listeners, we don't do video. Listeners in the UK, 
may be aware that, um, of all places, Channel 5, over the last few weeks, has been airing a very good documentary about, well, the Britpop era in the mid-90s, basically. Um, rated by Sean Keaveney, so you know it's good. Ooh, okay, I've not, I've not watched it. It's well worth a watch. So if you go on Channel 5's version of the iPlayer, it's it all four, It's only four episodes. They're all on there. It's good. Well, it is genuinely well worth a watch. Just as a quick question, do they have old episodes of John Barnes Football Nice? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't checked. <laughs> it's niche. Even for us, that is niche. <laughs> I'm not explaining either. <laughs> um. No. So, talking to a, a work colleague about said documentary, uh, hello Sarah, if you're listening, she usually listens, she says she listens to the first five or six minutes of the pod <laughs> because it gets too much for her after that, I so fair enough. <laughs> well, exactly, that's fair. <laughs> so yeah, there was an episode I hadn't yet seen, which she had, and she said, oh, I've, I've had Wake Up Boo by the Boo Radley stuck in my head since seeing that, uh, and so now, so have I. For the last two weeks. Oh, I'm very sorry. I utterly fucking loathe that song. Pure 1996. Jesus fucking Christ. Proof, surely, if any more was needed, that nothing good has ever come out of Birkenhead. <laughs> the tunnel. <laughs> good point. Uh, Boaty Muck Boatface, actually. That was made at Camel Laird's. In okay, there we go. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so no no humorous reason for it other than um, watching a Channel 5 documentary and then one of my colleagues saying that they've had it stuck in their head has meant it's now been stuck in mine and it'll probably be stuck in yours as well, Kev, so I do apologise. Well, I've got something um, good that may get stuck in yours because it's not a new choice. Go on then, what are you going to add to our playlist? So I'm going to add to the list the mid-90s, I don't think it was a particularly big hit, but... Uh, Hobo Humping Slowbo Babe by Whale. Oh, yeah. What a fucking tune that is. An absolute belter. It is an absolute belter. Proper left of the dial US alt rock. Nice. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't have anything new either. I've got an old choice. Even older, in fact. And, um, well, this is this is another one. Uh, although this in, 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 on this occasion, uh, rather pleasingly, this is another one uh, which has been inspired by a trip to a Liverpool pub. So, I was uh, recently in Pogue Mahones on Seal Street, uh, a very good Irish pub where you can get a very good pint of Guinness. And they have live music there quite often. And I was uh, in there and the, the band that was playing, was they were playing Irish folk music. And then they snuck in, just at the end, a cover of Kenny Rogers' The Gambler, which <laughs> is a fucking rammer. So it's going on the playlist. Fair enough. I'm I'm not going to argue with your choice of uh, Kenny Rogers there. Although I've always been dis- disturbed by the fact that his uh, chicken restaurant in America is Kenny Rogers Roasted. <laughs> <laughs> Very different meaning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you agree because the gambler is boss. Good stuff. Okay, that's can't get you out of my head done with. Um, it's top trumps time. It's going to be tricky this one. I don't know. I've 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 got a good feeling about this. I think I'm going to do okay. I think you're going to do better, like because it's actually genuinely tricky for me. Because oh, have you not? Have you not got much data for me? Not a huge amount of data on this. 
Oh, okay. Well, this might be a uh, quick then. It was a draw last time, wasn't it? Amazingly. It, it was. The darkness pulled out late equalisers. Mm. You did. Uh, so I think it's still you to go first. Yeah, because you had the Sex Pistols and won before that. So yeah, it's, go on. You go first. Okay. So I will go with uh, charts. Reached a peak of 61 in the US. <laughs> 34 in the US. And a peak of 32 in the UK. Wow. Amazingly, never let me down. Got to number six in the UK. Wow. <laughs> I mean, we have in the past on Album Clash, and I'm sure in the future will be again, highly critical of the British record band public, particularly in the 1980s. I give you Exhibit D. <laughs> yeah, I mean, trading on the name, very much so. <laughs> I also have uh, number two in Sweden, uh, number three in both Norway and Austria. The Finns and the Italians, they liked it. They put it at number four. Uh, the Canadians and the Japanese, they also stuck it at number six. The Netherlands, number nine. West Germany, number 11. Spain, number 13. New Zealand, number 14. Switzerland, number 18. And Australia, number 19. So, basically, this album was a hit all over the fucking world. As I say, trading on the name. Because <laughs> if you... Like, and this is definitely something that I suppose is going to come out. So both artists had had albums that had not done particularly well in their previous previous yes. ones, but Knocked Out Loaded, Dylan's one, with, is almost as reviled as this one. So, oh wow, you know, it, <laughs> he was not on a good run, and obviously he. He'd found God at the start of the 80s as well. Yeah, which we've talked about before. Anyway, right, that puts me 1-0 up, so I'm, I'm going to go with sales. A, circa a million sales worldwide for Never Let Me Down. So I could not find a figure for sales anywhere. Oh, okay. Which tells me it didn't do well. <laughs> yeah, probably less than a million. <laughs> yes. So I think I'm going to claim a victory there. Pyrrhic, but yes. Uh, so i'm guessing you've got nothing for certifications either uh no nothing for certifications so i have gold certifications in the uk the us and in france Uh, and in canada uh, this album was certified platinum hey (laughs) was that a deliberate pun because that was excellent if so (laughs) very good Uh, right that's three nil so the best you can do is a draw you can potentially redeem yourself with awards because I've got nothing. That's a draw. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> right, then. Uh, similarly, lists, I've got... Abs- not. It's not even on any worst albums lists. I just did nothing for lists at all. Um. So it ha- It did make a, a worst of list. So, yeah, it made the Rolling Stones 20 worst albums ever. Okay, so you win do- then. I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> I'm giving you that. It's on a list. Yep, you can have it. Well done. You've, okay. You have a consolation. You can't win, but you've got a consolation. I, I don't think I want to win with this album. <laughs> All right. So, take me through your critic scores. What can you do? Um, the best. <laughs> oh Christ! The best I can do is a C plus uh, from Nobby McGee himself. <laughs> That's the best you can do. Best. Jesus. Uh, so that that's ditto. Uh, Nobby also gave Never Let Me Down a C+. Uh, what else have you got? 
so all music two stars. Ditto. Uh, music hound one and a half. Uh, mu- <laughs> music hound rated never let me down as, and I quote, woof exclamation mark. <laughs> I don't know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> do they mean it in the uh, Lord Flashheart kind of uh, woof? <laughs> uh, no, they mean that uh, when the little ginger kid gets stressed, he itches himself and then turns into a dog. And fucking your dog just barked at the perfect time as well. <laughs> Excellent stuff. I know, didn't even plan that. <laughs> um, the Encyclopedia of Popular Music, a two. Oh, you beat me then one out of five. Oh, my God. <laughs> Rolling Stone, two and a half. Rolling Stone, one. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, I've also got two and a half out of five from Record Mirror. Smash Hits. Yes, Smash Hits. It's not the last time I'm going to be talking about them today. Gave Never Let Me Down four out of ten. I'm not surprised that um, the Dylan's album hasn't got a Smash Hits score. <laughs> I have a more ridiculous score, however, and I've deliberately kept this one till last because I cannot believe Pitchfork, with its weird aggregation mm-hmm. scoring system, 5.8? Wow. <laughs> exactly. 5.8? Um, okay. There must have been like Bowie fans who have upped that up. Cause... Yeah, it's got to be. <laughs> or it's loads of bot accounts like that... Um, John Travolta vehicle about John Gotti. There was loads of bot accounts that were spreading fake reviews about how good it was. It's the same thing here. Also, I didn't think you were going to say Pitchfork. I I thought like you were going to pivot from Smash Hits to Looking. <laughs> no. I mean, we're going, I'm, I'm proper going for the niche. Like, very few people in the UK are going to probably you are. up. Right, I think I've won. Uh, like, uh, I think you won one, so I think of what? Have I won four? One? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, it was something like that. It's, you know. Yay. <laughs> well done, David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I mean, Kev, I don't wish to speak ill of the dead. I, I, I don't wish to give spoilers away, but I did not have a good time listening to this album. So, uh, um, as I said to you on my message the other day, I'm really pleased that you had as bad a time listening to this as I did. <laughs> well, as I said to you on my message, I, behind the curtain here, guys, sorry. I, I, I messaged Kev to say, it feels like I'm descending into the pit of a depressive nightmare. <laughs> I mean, that's very much how I felt in our previous class. So, you know, <laughs> hello, oh, darkness, God. my old friend. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> anyway... Sorry, guys. Let's 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 try and retain some sense of decorum here. Shall I start taking us through David Bowie's "Never Let Me Down"? I think the audience is desperate to hear your uh, thoughts. So, before I do, just a little bit of a of a note for both you, Kevin, and our loyal listeners. Owing in no small part to me being a incredibly busy recently and be just a bit fucking lazy. My research for this clash is brought to you in part by uh, ChatGPT. (laughs) (laughs) Which I logged on to the other day and said, write me an article of David Bowie's Never Let Me Down. 
<laughs> okay. It, I mean, it's going to replace us eventually. <laughs> so, much of what I'm about... I mean, I have used Wiki as well. You know, I've got extensive research. <laughs> much of what I'm about to tell you may be absolute bollocks. Some of it I know for a fact is absolute bollocks. Because ChatGPT claims that Let's Dance is on this album. <laughs> well, that's news to the entire uh, listening public. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I will give a verbal parenthesis when I'm uh, reading out anything that ChatGPT has told me. But I just figured I'd like to know what it says. Okay, right, so let us start going through. Never let me down. It's Bowie's 17th studio album. It was released on the 20th of April 1987 through EMI. Um, It was recorded between September and November of 86. Firstly at Mountain Studios in Montreux, Switzerland, and then being completed at the Power Station in New York City. It was co-produced by Bowie himself and David Richards. They had worked together previously uh, producing Blah Blah Blah. Uh, and actually, David Richards was also an engineer on Heroes. Bob Clearmountain, who was one of the engineers on Let's Dance, he also returned to engineer duties for this album. Uh, so according to Bowie, here's a chat GPT quote. According to Bowie, Bob Clearwater was responsible for the album's great forceful sound. So there you go. <laughs> the band that played on the album, so returning to the sessions, was regular collaborator Carlos Alomar on guitar, Carmine Rojas on bass, and the horn players, a group of saxophonists known as the Borneo Horns. Uh, something that um, people in the in the British Army during the Empire times uh, sometimes got. Yeah, you can get a cream for it nowadays, though. <laughs> um, so... Here is what ChatGPT has to say about the background of the album. The album came after a long hiatus from releasing music, sending fans into a frenzy. Bowie had been known for his iconic performances and unique sound, and the album was an attempt to incorporate some of the new sounds of the late 80s into his music. Bowie had taken a break from music in the mid-80s to concentrate on his acting career. He had appeared in several films, including the cult classic Labyrinth. That much at least is true. This album saw him returning to his roots. His roots? <laughs> I would I would I would also question Chat GPT there. Go on. So tonight comes out in eighty-four, I think. <laughs> this is only three years later. The Labyrinth soundtrack is in between that. Um, it's not that long to wait for um, Bowie material. No, not at all. I mean, we waited a much longer time uh, till the next day. <laughs> so just to finish on this this uh, chat GPT uh, segment, to your previous point, Bowie was also under pressure to reinvent himself after his previous album, 1984's Tonight, had received mixed reviews, which I would say is putting it somewhat kindly. Yeah, it's a bit shit. Okay. Oh, dear. So, this is back to Wiki. So, in mid-86, Bowie was uh, at home in Switzerland writing songs with Iggy Pop. He then uh, got together with Turkish musician Erdal, and I do apologise to any uh, Turkish listeners, Kijilkai. Kijilchai, I'm sorry. That's my best attempt, I'm sorry. Um, I've got anything better. No, okay. So they'd been sort of working sporadically together since mid-82, and Bowie was a big fan of his musicianship, saying that he can switch from violin to trumpet to French horn. Vibes, percussion, whatever. Vibes. So he's like, Bez. (laughs) (laughs) 
Pure vibes. <laughs> His knowledge of rock music begins and ends with the Beatles. His background is really jazz. So during the recording sessions, Kizil Chai played keyboards and synths. And uh, according to Bowie biographer Chris O'Leary, provided any sound Bowie requested. I wonder if he ever requested him doing armpit farts. Would have made the arm better. <laughs> Could you do a bit of Jar Jar Biggs for me? <laughs> Firstly, excellent Bowie. <laughs> Secondly, Jar Jar Binks. Wow. I will come back to that, by the way. <laughs> me, sir, going to record as a shit album, sir. <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Also uh, joined for the sessions was Bowie's former classmate from school, Peter Frampton, of Frampton Comes Alive's fame. So uh, Bowie had asked Frampton to, to collaborate with him after listening to his latest record, 1986's Premonition, stating at the time, I always thought it'd be... I can't do uh, a decent Bowie impression. Wuzzle, wuzzle, wuzzle. <laughs> I always thought it'd be good to work with him because I was so impressed with him as a guitarist at school. Frampton played on all but three tracks on the album. Uh, so Day In, Day Out, Time Will Crawl, and uh, the cover of Iggy Pop's Bang Bang, they were all, uh, lead guitar parts were played on those by Sid McGuinness, who had been a sometime member of David Letterman's house band. <laughs> well, <laughs> didn't see exactly. that coming. Nope. Uh, so for the first time since 1980, Scary Monsters and Super Creeps, uh, Bowie actually played instruments during the sessions in addition to singing. Uh, so he played keyboard synths and rhythm guitar on some tracks. He also played <coughs> some of the lead guitar parts on New York's In Love and 87 and Cry. Kizzle Chai recalled David Bowie being very disciplined during the sessions and always trying new things. So the backing tracks were recorded uh, at Mountain Studios over the first couple of weeks, uh, after which Carlos Alomar, Peter Frampton came in to do some guitar overdubs. They then moved over to New York to go to the power station uh, where the Borneo Horns recorded their parts. Uh, according to Dave Richards, that decision was because Bowie had said those are elements you can only get in New York. So, yeah, apparently the majority of the vocals that appear on the album were taken from the guide vocals that Bowie set down at Mountain Studios rather than the re-records at uh, the power station. David Richards explained that most of the guard vocals were so good and had such great spontaneity that they ended up on the record. Mm. Uh, back to chat GPT. The album also featured guest appearances by artists such as Peter Gabriel, Mick Ronson and Laurie Anderson. I could find no reference to that anywhere other than chat GPT. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm calling bollocks, but it might be true. Yeah, but I don't have that. Uh, in an interview with Rolling Stone, Bowie said, I've just got so many years of habit behind me of trying to get the perfect piece of music to come out in the studio. I'm always fiddling. Dave Richards added, we spent a lot of time doing backing tracks to make sure everything was in the right place before we recorded David vocals. Again, that's at odds with what Wiki claims about the guide vocals being the ones that ended up on the album. But hey, maybe the AI is right and everyone else is wrong. I don't know. Um, just for future posterity, uh, when Skynet takes over, uh, yeah, ChatGPT was definitely absolutely bang on there. <laughs> Up our robot overlords. Hey, Lance. <laughs> Absolutely. 
okay, last thing of background. The vinyl and CD versions of the album were released with different runtimes. So, ah, it's just important to say, actually, the version we'll be going through is the original UK release. Subsequent releases of the album, the track Too Dizzy has never been included <laughs> because Bowie hated it so much that he wanted it removed from the album. Indeed. I, listeners, I don't know whether you have, Kev, but I, listeners, have been through the pain of listening to Too Dizzy, so you don't have to. I did not do this. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <clears throat> so I also, the version of the album that I listen to on YouTube Music is the near 54-minute CD version. <sighs> <laughs> Anything else on background? Uh, no. <laughs> so kevin how did you first discover never let me down by david bowie as has been mentioned many times on album clash i do like me a bit of bowie so obviously went through the the most important albums and then started listening around so for quite a while i have known this album i can't say it's one that i've returned to many times <laughs> <laughs> but I certainly have listened to it previously. Uh, unlike me, uh, for whom this was a first listen, and um, likely to be the last listen as well. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. Let's just leave it there. Uh, artwork? Yeah. So I'd like Chat GPT to talk us through the artwork. If okay. I, if I may. Right. The album's cover art features a photograph of Bowie with a colourful background of blue, orange and red hues. Bowie is seen wearing a silver metallic jacket with his arms crossed and his face covered in blue paint. The background appears to be a mishmash of various geometric shapes and random lines, giving it an abstract quality. The graphic design was created by the popular media artist Terry Pasta, whose distinctive digital style was at the forefront of the visual arts during the 80s. The album artwork generated a mixed response. Some people appreciated the unique design, while others found it peculiar and unappealing. Nonetheless, it remains an iconic album cover that reflects the music of its time. <laughs> so, Kevin, on the cover of the album... <laughs> Is there a colourful background of blue, orange, and red hues? I mean, there's there's kind of like a bit of lighting of blue in the right corner and a little bit of red light. That's nonsense. It's utter yeah, nonsense. But importantly, is Bowie seen wearing a silver metallic jacket with his arms crossed and his face covered in blue paint? No, no. <laughs> Please describe the album cover accurately for me. So, well, I can tell you from Wiki, um, which has... <laughs> description of the cover art a man lunging at the camera surrounded by various objects <laughs> well yeah exactly basically it looks like the poster for a crap uh, Vegas ma magician uh, no Kevin it looks like the opening titles to Going Live <laughs> I'm sorry I, I'm getting pure Copperfield vibes from this <laughs> <laughs> For those not aware, uh, Going Live was a children's Saturday morning TV show in the UK in the 80s. And for those not aware, David Copperfield was a... Charles Dickens character. <laughs> <laughs> 
was a preposterous magician who also dated Claudia Schiffer for some reason. Well, obviously, Indeed. for him, dating Claudia Schiffer was very... I was going to say, <laughs> I'm The sure. other way round. Um, <laughs> curious. It's, it's, not, it's not like she wasn't short of a few quid. Yeah. <laughs> he did make the Statue of Liberty disappear, though, Kev. And he walked through the Great Wall of China. Yeah. <laughs> Like David Blaine sitting in a box. Oh, my God. The only reason anyone watched any of that David Blaine sitting in a box is because we were all hoping that it would end with him smearing the walls of said box in shit. (laughs) Let's be honest with you. Suggesting he was going to do him. No, actually, I can't go down that. Like, you'd have to cut it. Listen, as Kev just told me what I was going to say, it was very funny because I'm going to leave the rest of that in. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, so Chat GPT's talking absolute wham. Uh, the album cover's shit and the font is ridiculous. I do not like that font at all. No. And the thing is, like Bowie's previous albums, even tonight, which I don't, which I'm not a huge fan of the cover of tonight, they had good font game. I'm not, I do not enjoy this font. No. It does scream wacky 80s glam. Mm-hmm. Not a fan. <sighs> okay. Shall we get into it? Let's do it. 11 tracks to go. <laughs> right. We start with Day In, Day Out. ChatGPT says that this is the lead single from the album with a catchy chorus and a sound that incorporated electronic elements. This song is a ballad about a man who's struggling to cope with the everyday grind. The lyrics are honest and relatable. Kev, what's this song about? <laughs> <laughs> is it about a man struggling to cope with the everyday grind? I don't I don't believe so. <laughs> it's actually about a woman struggling to feed her child and having to go to some quite depraved lengths to do so. But, you know, never mind. <sighs> so, I think it opens all right. And that gave me, like, when I first heard it and when I was listening back to it, it gave me some positive feelings. It's like, oh, this is a bit moozy, this opening. I'm like, um... And then it kicks in. And there's just so much going on sonically. There's just a mess. Too many elements thrown in. Uh, absolutely. 100% agree. There are too many elements thrown in. It, it, it is a fucking mess. It is, it is just all over the place. You've just, and this is a theme I'm going to come back to, you've just thrown almost anything you can think of at it in a hope that something sticks. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, it's 80s as fuck. Yes, <laughs> so the, the production choices do not help it. Jesus Christ. So, at times it's like I'm listening to a bad level 42 covers band. And the reason I'm saying bad level 42 covers band is... Listen, I'm not a big fan of Level 42, but fucking hell, Mark King was an amazing bassist. Yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't, I can't deny that. The bass on this is just nothing. It's just... it. And you've then you've got fake synthesised horns. Mm-hmm. So apparently Bowie actually recorded the song with the Borneo horns playing live, but elected to replace them with that shit. Uh, so the lyrics, so we talked about the production choices being thrown together. The fucking lyrics as well. There's angels everywhere. Certainty shooting her down. Shooting her with video drugs, bullets and promises. Angels in a ton of sound. Mm-hmm. 
It's like they fucking opened a can of alphabetty spaghetti and poured it out onto a page and said, that'll do. So you are aware of Bowie's lyric writing method developed with Eno? Is is that the one he nicked off Iggy and just basically started randomly saying shit into a mic whilst recording? Yeah, basically. Mm. Well, there you go. So what I will say about it, the, there is a nice guitar solo towards the end and it's played really well. And this is the thing about this album. We're going to say about, um, well, I'm certainly going to say it about in two weeks' time, is that there are elements that are good at times because of who they are. They've got really good people playing on it. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. I've got a lot to say in two weeks' time about that. <laughs> For this, it is a very well-played guitar solo, but again, you've you've had elements of, of, of funk and R&B and jazz and stuff coming in here. So why the fuck are you trying to stick a hair metal rock guitar solo at the end? That's something else I'm going to say. It's just, it's too much. Yeah. It's it's too much. And it's five minutes and 39 seconds long, for fuck's sake. There is nothing whatsoever that happens in this song to justify anywhere near that length. It is hideous. This album needs a strong producer, someone to strip it back. Because I don't think, like, I'm not saying Day In, Day Out is a particularly great song that could be redeemed, but I think it could certainly be far better if there was a stronger Mm. producer to strip it back, to go back to the constituent elements and cut it down a bit. As you say, it's far too long. Yeah, it is. Uh, Okay, just before we move on, uh, Bowie claimed that he uh, selected this as the lead single for the album more as a statement of energy about the album as opposed to directly trying to be a chart-topping single, Uh, which is just as well because it only got to number 17 in the UK and 21 on the Billboard Hot 100. I'm pretty fortunate in that. (laughs) I was going to (sighs) say. Can we move on? Yeah, let's do it. One down, ten to go. Time will crawl. Um, according to Chat GPT, uh, it is a criticism of Thatcher era Britain with a soaring chorus and a memorable guitar riff. Um, mm. It's not a criticism of Thatcher era Britain. The song was actually inspired by the Chernobyl disaster and the idea that someone from your own neighbourhood could be responsible for the end of the world. Apparently, Bowie said that the vocals, uh, the way he sung the vocals, were indebted to Neil Young. I can certainly hear that in terms of mm-hmm. the way he sings it. Not just the way he sings it, but the melody as well, actually. Um, somewhat does put me in mind of something like Keep On Rocking in the Free World. But that's where the similarities end with Neil Young, I'm afraid. So, obviously, you said that it was about the Chernobyl, Chernobyl disaster and that. And mm-hmm. uh, the time that it takes to get going clearly is based on the half-life of the um, <laughs> atomic elements. Oh, Jesus. It's better than the opener. I'm going to say that. It's not good musically or lyrically. Other than that, you're a big fan. <laughs> um, although there was an element in it that did make me laugh quite a bit. So there's a line about uh, melted metal and steel, which immediately made me think jet fuel can't melt steel beams. <laughs> We're back to Muse again. <laughs> <laughs> I 
do like the fact we've suddenly decided completely independently, yet also multilaterally, to just get stuck into Matt Bellamy. Well, yeah, there's there's very good reason there. Yes, there is. Um, this song it has no structure to it at all. It's got no substance to it at all. No. So it's another one where it's just crammed full of eighties gloss and glitz. I mean, there's fuck. There's so much reverb on this. Even Duran Duran would think twice about putting out something so sugary. <laughs> it's bad. Yeah, it's not good. But it's better than the opener. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Beat of your drum. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Chat GPT couldn't really be asked with this one because all it says is it's a synth-heavy track that incorporates elements of funk and soul. Okay, so the opening. Uh, sounds like it's nicked directly from the opening of Labyrinth. <laughs> uh, yes, and the chorus is a rip-off of Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. <laughs> but it's a shit pub karaoke version of Glory Days. Like the sort of karaoke quality that you hear coming out of one of those pubs next to Clayton Square. <laughs> <laughs> at 3pm on a Tuesday afternoon. Coopers. <laughs> Absolutely Coopers. <laughs> yeah, it is Coopers. <laughs> the Globe is the other one, but it's it's pure Coopers. Do you know what? Oh, my so God. And... The note I put down, it says, at times it does sound like a Bowie song, just put through an utter shite late 80s filter. <sighs> right, so I've taken... ChatGPT's lead, where ChatGPT claims it incorporates elements of funk and soul. My note is, on the contrary, this is utterly soulless. It's it's all, again, a bit of a mess, and, oh my word, the music may change Heidi Ho. <laughs> he should have had Paul Shane of Heidi Heiss. Damn it, I was about to say, like, he's, he's clearly brought two Pollard in. <laughs> I mean, considering one of the collaborators we're going to be talking about in a bit, Kev, that would not have been the most outlandish choice. <laughs> uh, so, uh, just according to Wiki, Bowie claimed that Beat of Your Drum was a Lolita song. A reflection on young girls. This is a quote. A reflection on young girls. Christ, she's only 14 years old, but jail's worth it. Oh, dear me, David. <sighs> well, we've already got stuck into Iggy in, on a previous clash for similar things, and <sighs> it makes me angry. No need. No need, lad. No need at all. Uh, it's shit, and it's fuck. It's five minutes long again. I know I've taken. I've assumed your role here, but shit, why the fuck is everything on this album so bastard long? Because it needed a it needed a proper producer on it, and this wasn't even Bowie's coke era for Christ's sake. You can't even blame the drugs. No, because I mean, because he <laughs> he made some cracking stuff when he was on when he was on the blog. <laughs> Oh my God, can we go on? <laughs> I think we're going to have to. Oh, Jesus. The title track is next. Never let me down. You certainly have. Well, <laughs> exactly. What I've said is never let me down. More like never let him back in the fucking studio. <laughs> Look, as as I said the previous weekend, I'm sure you will go on to say, 
this album was so bad that he went and formed Tin Machine. Right. So, ChatGPT says this is the title track of the album, as I've said, with a slower tempo and a melancholy atmosphere. It is a driving song with a catchy melody. Make your mind up. The lyrics are about a man who's determined to never let his loved ones down. Bowie, on the other hand, says that it's about his relationship with his longtime personal assistant, Coco Schwab. He described his relationship with her thus. It's platonic, but there is a romance in it, I guess, inasmuch as it's hard for two people to feel totally at ease in each other's company for that period of time and not expect too much from each other. Always being prepared to be there if the other one needs someone, you know? There's not many people you find in life that you can do that with or feel that way with. Which I'm sure his uh, then-girlfriend imam was delighted to hear him say. Uh, She's gone. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, she she may have been your long time PA. She ain't anymore. <laughs> I just saw her kicking your cat. <laughs> I won't clash would officially like to state that we have no evidence that Coco Schwab booted David Bowie's cat. <laughs> no, that's true. We don't. Nor do we have any evidence that she didn't. Well, that's true. Uh, and rumours that she was condemned to the pit of eternal stench. You don't smell. <laughs> I fucking hate that film. I love that film. I know you do. <laughs> uh, I'll be coming back to that in a minute. Uh, right, okay, sorry. Let's try and talk about Never Let Me Down. So it simply doesn't have anything to it, despite his vocal performance. <sighs> right. If I'm being kind, and I am really stretching here, I mean, really, because I've got to try and say something constructive. I'd say there are some interesting elements here, actually. Mm -hmm. The framework of the song, some of the melodies that he sings, there are little hooks and riffs here and there which are interesting. But again, they've just thrown so much shit at it in an attempt to puff it and pad it out to make it more than the sum of its parts that it just... It doesn't work. It just falls apart. That fucking harmonica part is really jarring. We've. I mean, I re- how many times have we said we love a bit of gob iron on an album? The Clash? thing is, I like the gob iron over the dripping tap, but it has no place in this song whatsoever. No, I'm not enjoying myself, Kev. Sorry. <laughs> no, we are not having a lovely time. <laughs> Zeros. A fun, energetic track that features a sing-along chorus and Bowie's distinct vocals. Bowie himself explained, I wanted to put in every 60s cliche I could think of, stopping and preaching and letting love in. All those things. I hope there's a humorous undertone to it, but the subtext is definitely that the trappings of rock are not what they're made out to be. That's ironic. (laughs) I mean, it's an awful opening. Are we talking about the sitar-style guitar part? It's terrible. Paul Young made heavy use of that. That's where Bowie is at this point in his career. He's taking inspiration from Paul fucking Young. (laughs) No more pain and no sorrow. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice, that. (sighs) So, I think that there may have been, at one point, a good song in there somewhere. But it is absolutely lost by it's a, a melange. It's a mm-hmm. again, like as we've said with all of the songs on this album, is that there is just so much thrown at it that mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. It lacks structure. It lacks purpose. It lacks any kind of there's there's bits like as you said with Never Let Me Down. There's bits in there that you go, oh, that's a nice thing, but there's something else going on, so it takes away from that. You never get into anything. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So you so as well as that fucking awful guitar sitar shit. You, in the middle, you've got a Brian May, 80s Brian May style guitar mm-hmm. solo in there. That's what this whole album is. It's taking bits of everything that was popular at the time, throwing it all into a bowl and hoping that what comes out is a hit. Yeah. But it's not a hit. It's just an incoherent mess. And it's, it is far, far, far too long. It's nearly six minutes long, for fuck's sake. I'd, like, and it tells you how bad this song is. The, I think I was two minutes in, and I checked how long I had left to listen three yep. times. <laughs> yeah. Like, for and Christ's sake. And on the third time, you were still only at two minutes and 28 yeah. seconds. Yeah, and I was like, oh, for Christ's sake, there's another two-thirds of this. Yeah. What this album is, it's like buying the finest ingredients to make a gourmet meal. But what you actually end up with is a pus-filled, maggot-infested carcass served with rotten, fetid vegetables. Ah, so a kebab then? <laughs> no. I like a Donny <laughs> kebab. Do not like this album. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Oh, my God. I'm just... Oh, glass spider. Okay, so the first half, can you say, of the album, well, of the album, of the song, if someone did this as a parody, you'd say it was too far. <laughs> so I've said something slightly more succinct, but very similar. Nice to hear Jareth the Goblin King put in a guest appearance on the album. <laughs> It's like a shit version of Richard Burton's narration on fucking War of the Worlds. What? <laughs> it's it's mad. However, it... now you may well disagree with this. When the actual music element kicks in, I don't mind it. Oh my god, I do disagree with it. It's fucking awful. Jesus. However, it is mad. Like it's it makes no sense. It's nuts. But there's a kind of unhinged elephants who I don't hate no no it's this is fucking interminable Kev I'm sorry five and a half minutes oh it's it's far too long don't get me wrong so apparently the song presents a mythological story based on a documentary that Bowie had seen about black widow spiders describing how they lay the skeletons out of their prey onto their webs you know Mm-hmm. Having listened to this song three fucking times, I am starting to wish a Black Widow spider would devour every part of me and lay my fucking skeleton out <laughs> on its web as a warning to all of those who may at some point in their life wish to put on David Bowie's Never Let Me Down. This is fucking awful. Five and a half minutes of an overblown children's nursery rhyme. That's what this is. There's also a lovely early tribute to Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> that's a, that's my note. <laughs> like I can't. I would say listen to it again, but you're never going to listen to it again. So no, I'm never going to listen to it again. <sighs> and somehow we go from bad to worse. 
Oh, oh my God. Shining star, making my love. So amazingly on an album that we've criticised for being massively 80s, this is the most 80s so far. And why is that, Kev? Like the amount of reverb is just ridiculous. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to refer to the uh, collaborator on this song. Um, <laughs> no, so I wasn't even bringing the collaborator in yet. If you would like to... Yes, I would. So the spoken word, uh, what what Wiki describes as a rap, which I think is very kind, mm-hmm. uh, midsection of this song is performed by actor Mickey Rourke. Yeah. So apparently he'd met Bowie in London where Mickey Rourke was uh, filming Prayer for the Dying and he asked Bowie to contribute onto his next album and this was the result. Mickey Rourke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, Jesus. This sounds like Bowie trying to do Prince and it is hilariously bad. It's it's just so bad. This is not just a swing and a miss. It is a miss so spectacular that the bat has swung round again, smashed his teeth in and left him with a concussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you... I, I, I've dominated the conversation thus far. You are much more of a Bowie aficionado, much more of a Bowie fanboy than I am. You've said very little praise thus far about the album. Uh-huh. Now is your chance. Well, you'll get your chance again in a couple of weeks when you score it. But but come on, try and give me something constructive, positive to say. I can't. <laughs> the like so it's and this isn't even the worst example of the eighties production on the album because we're we're gonna get there. Um <laughs> It's so bad. It's The album is not good, and there's no question about it. That's why we picked it. Well, why I picked it. Yeah, you uh, fucking picked it. Don't try and bring me down with uh, you. You brought the darkness into, into matters. Don't <laughs> don't, don't t- try and take the moral high ground here. Yeah, I'm sorry, but we don't expect better from the darkness. <laughs> but now there's, like, what I will say, after, now you really don't like Glass Spider. Fair enough. I think after Glass Spider, at least in some of the songs before, there were bits or hooks or things that you could at least go, well, with a different producer, there might there might have been something there. I think after Glass Spider, there's nothing, there is nothing to grab onto. It's just all really bad. And it's this is this is someone uh, phoning in. Uh yeah. I, I, the last thing I've said on Shining Star is somehow each song is managing to be even worse than the one which preceded it. (laughs) So, just lastly on this, ChatGPT says that Shining Star is an upbeat disco-infused track with memorable guitar work. This is a pop ballad about a man who is in love. The lyrics are sweet and romantic. Lies. (laughs) New York's in love, Kev. Uh, Yeah. This is a tribute to the city of New York with a catchy chorus and a blend of synth and guitar work. <laughs> so, you know, I said that Shining Star was the most 80s on the album and it's terrible for it. I stand corrected. Yeah. This is the most 80s and it's awful. 
So genuinely, what I've written here is, this sounds like Spinal Tap's The Majesty of Rock. A comedy song which specifically takes aim at the pomposity of rock music in the 80s. Apparently, Bowie didn't get the joke. I mean, this is this is clearly someone absolutely phoning it in. It's... It, it's it's just bad. It's unspeakably bad. It is unspeakably bad. Again, it has no idea what it wants to be. It's too long and it's a mess. Yeah. There's not even there's not even charm to it. That's Nope. Eighty seven and cry. I mean too fucking right and cry. <laughs> the tears of rage are streaming down my face by this point in the album. So I don't think it's as bad as New York's in love. It's, it's what I can say in its defence. No. It, it's got uh, no charm or hook to it. So this is the song that is about Thatcher. Yes. Referring to the distinction between an author- authoritarian government and, and its citizens. Bowie said that the uh, lyrics were describing people eating the energies of others to get what they wanted. So in that regard, lyrically at least, there is something of a critique of 1980s society, at least in the UK, which is of interest there. So yeah, for that, it is it deserves more praise than most of what we've heard so far, because there's something lyrically to get into. But that's, that's your lot. <clears throat> it's an utterly dreadful piece of music. I mean, there's no point in me trying to make any more humorous comparisons with other acts from the 80s, because the listeners are bored of it by now. And this is just derivative sugary shit. It's a it's a turd rolled in candy floss. Um, although I can say I can say something that we haven't had before is that accidentally, as I was writing down the title in in my book and doing my notes, um, I started calling it eighty seven Hue and Cry. <laughs> nice eighties reference. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, for fuck's sake. Two to go, Kev. Two to go. One of which you haven't had the pleasure of listening to. No, I did. I, ch- <laughs> I have heard it before, but but not for this. Therefore, you have failed in your duty. We always say we do the original release. I respected a dead man's <laughs> wishes. <laughs> and this is now on social media. <laughs> Too Dizzy is the penultimate track. You won't find it on the uh, album versions that you can stream online. It is on YouTube. That's where I found it. This apparently was the first song that Bowie wrote with uh, Kizzle Chai. Uh, It was written in homage to the 1950s with Bowie saying it is a real 50s subject matter. It was either love or jealousy. So I thought I'd stick with jealousy because it's a lot more interesting. So you've heard it before. Mm-hmm. What do you think? It's really bad. <laughs> I can understand why he wanted it ex- exercised from history. It, it's not even a song. It's the theme tune to Pebble Mill. That's what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is. It is a fucking... Sh- <laughs> it is a sugary 80s daytime TV chat show. That's... It's just... It's fucking dire. It's just... I've got nothing... Constructive. What's we have to say? Did, were you having visions of Sue Cook? <laughs> Sue Cook and Alan Titchmarsh interviewing fucking I don't know Gloria Hunnerford. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes, Gloria Hunnerford. Yeah, 
exactly. I, I, I was. My initial first one was going to go Rusty Lee. No, Gloria Hunniford, even better. <laughs> Brilliant. Well done. Oh, for fuck's sake. Well, we're at the end. Finally. Yes, we have, we have managed to limp our way to the end. Bang, bang. So, it's a cover of an Iggy Pop song. Oh, <laughs> so, two things I've said about this. Firstly, I don't think uh, Mick Foley's career would have been anywhere near as <laughs> memorable and uh, would have been quite so renowned as being the king of the deathmatch had this been Cactus Jack's entrance music. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the second thing, to be fair to David Bowie, I think Bang Bang is a remarkable achievement because he has managed to make a cover of an Iggy Pop song that is even worse than his interminable version of China Girl. Right. His version of China Girl is not as good as uh, Iggy's one. But Kev, it's fucking right, shit. We're not, we're not going to, because at some point we will have to do Let's Dance, because I would, I genuinely would like to hear your views on it. But, yeah, this is really bad. This is so bad. And again, the, you've thrown everything at it, so you've got backing singers, you've got, like, there's so much th- been thrown at it, but none of it sticks. It's just bad. It's really poor. So apparently Bowie tried to imitate Iggy's vocal style in singing this song. I I, I didn't get that at all. No. The the final note I have made on this album is please make it stop. It just there's no charm to it. No. This this is going through the motions. This is perfunctory. And that's being very kind. I'm trying to think of an equivalent from another luminary artist that is as 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 cynical an attempt to cash in on the prevailing style of the time as this album, and I can't think of one. I would say late period Madonna. Yeah, but it, okay, that's a, that is a good shout actually. I can't think of anything as 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 bad as this in her back catalogue. No, I mean this is this is really really bad. Oh, fucking hell! I mean, what what did the eighties do to so many many artists? Because because like the thing is that I could have chosen so many people and their choices in the eighties. Johnny Cash is Johnny Cash's stuff in the eighties is really bad. Obviously, we're gonna get on to Dylan. McCartney's eighties output is really bad. Yeah. You know, I'd, I mean the only the only one who really emerges with any kind of credit in the bank is probably George Harrison. Yeah, okay. But even then, you know, it's fine. Yes, but I think it says it speaks volumes that George Harrison's biggest hit and most fondly remembered song of the eighties was a cover. Mm-hmm. So you know. And the, um, the traffic, I'm a, traveling Wilbury stuff as well. Well, I was going to mention them next in a couple of weeks. Actually, we'll come back to yeah. them. I mean, we've not even fucking mentioned Jagger and and the eighties. Oh, so. oh dear! <laughs> oh dear God! <sighs> Should we move on? Yeah, let's because we we could just go through a list of of so many artists. So reviews mixed is. <laughs> No, and I mean mixed. We usually say mixed as euphemism for it was panned. These are genuinely mixed. And I'm going to read some of the positive ones first. So in Trouser Press, 
Good name for publication, by the way. <laughs> Ira Robbins wrote, although this casual loud rock outing seems on first blush to be a slapdash and slight, the first side is actually quite good, offering provocative pop culture lyrics delivered with first take enthusiasm and carefree backing. I mean, there's something to say, which you already did raise about side one being better than side two, but I think that's a very kind review. Yeah. Oh, it gets better. In Billboard, Steve Gett hailed the record as, quote, unquestionably Bowie's finest work up to that point. What? Unquestionably Bowie's finest work up to that point. Oh, yeah, you know, absolutely. Better than the Berlin period, better than the Ziggy stuff, (laughs) uh, the thing my do. Yeah, absolutely. Bang into it. He highlighted Day In, Day Out, Time Will Crawl, and the title track as standouts on the album. Uh, Now, I said Smash Hits only gave it 4 out of 10. Tom Hibbert deemed the album dull and full of contrived studio jams, which I can't disagree with. (laughs) Rolling Stone's Steve Pond called the work an odd, freewheeling pastiche of elements from all the previous Bowies saying it was unfocused and possibly the noisiest, sloppiest Bowie album ever. Agreed. Yeah. Being noisy and sloppy isn't necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it is. But sad to say, Never Let Me Down is also something of a mess. Yep. Yeah, it really really is. I mean, so I've seen uh, Chris Ingalls of Pop Matters describe some of the production on Time Will Crawl and Zeros as headache-inducing, overstuffed with garish production. I like that. Garish, excellent word. Yep. Mm-hmm. So what did Nobby think of it? Well, we've already heard that he gave the album a C plus, so he clearly didn't like it. In fact, in his consumer guide, he uh, noted that the album was a must to avoid. So if you go onto his website uh, and look at his review of uh, Never Let Me Down, literally there's a big like stop sign with must to avoid written on it. That's <laughs> <laughs> so Nobby. <laughs> Oh god, I mean it's not short, but there you go. What are we why are we surprised at this point? Right, Robert Criscal for the Village Voice said of Never Let Me Down and of David Bowie, maybe he's lost touch so completely that he's reduced to cannibalizing himself just when the market dictates the most drastic image shift of his chameleon career. Don't know what he means by that. But maybe this is just his way of melding two au courant concepts. Springsteenian rock, agreed there, and multi-producer crossover, agreed there too. After all, why pay good money to outsiders when your own trunk of disguises is in there for the rummaging? Of course, crossover artists can generally sing. When Bowie wants to play the vocalist, he still puts on a bad Anthony Newley imitation. I I mean, I, I disagree with when he wants to sing in general, that he puts on a bad Anthony Newley. But obviously, knowing the history of Bowie, that that's not... Um, it's not unknown, that. But uh, he's made... He re- uh, rarely for... Well, I, I, we say rarely, but sadly, Kevin, whilst we are still often annoyed by his verbiage, we are increasingly finding things in Nobby's reviews that we agree well, with. Well, we are getting older, so, you know. <laughs> that's true. So I've heard Bowie um, describe this period as his uh, Phil Collins years. Oh, wow. Having bad idea after bad idea. I think I'd agree. 
And you know my feeling on the Collins. <laughs> right. Well, on that point then, should we go on to Legacy? I think we definitely should. Okay. Um, so, we've already done Top Trumps, uh, and we know that uh, the album reached number six in the UK and number 34 in the US, yes? Mm-hmm. All right, so Chat GPT. The album was a commercial success, reaching number one in the UK and number six in the US. Okay. <laughs> anyway. So, to promote the album, he went on the Glass Spider tour, obviously named after the song on the album. That was, uh, at that point, the biggest and most theatrical that he'd done in his career, and actually said to have inspired artists like U2 to, you know, up their game in terms of putting on a show at their concert. Yeah, he kind of kind of brought the stadium gig into the spectacle age. Mm-hmm. Yes. Although one could argue that Jean-Michel Jarre had already done that. Um... Although, as we've discussed before... Had... <laughs> Not in Mexico. <laughs> Ain't no burrito for Jean-Michel. Um, so, whilst the tour was commercially successful, it was critically panned. The critical failure of both the tour and the album basically hit David quite hard. And he went into himself and discovered that what he wanted to do was to uh, go back into being a band rather than being David Bowie, being a band. So he formed Tin Machine in 1989. Um, I've never heard any Tin Machine music, Kevin. Would you like to describe their oeuvre? Um, so it was kind of like a much kind of rockier sound. Like, obviously, he was on the, on the way to that. There is, mm-hmm. there is some good stuff on... On Tin Machine, it it really depends. It's but it's very much a mixed bag. Yeah. So that they, they um, if I'm right, they they released two albums. So their self-titled mm-hmm. debut, which didn't do commercially well. Then they released another one in what 1990, 91, something like that. Ninety one, I think. No one was interested in that. So he jibbed it off, and then his next solo album was Black Tie White Noise in nineteen ninety three. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as you said, Bowie himself was very critical of the album in later years. He numerous times in his later life expressed a desire to remake it. Eventually, he remixed Time Will Crawl for inclusion on his career retrospective album, I Select, in 2008. There was a box set, Loving the Alien, released in 2018, which includes Never Let Me Down 2018. So that's got a new production of the album over his original vocals. I haven't heard it. I can't say that I'm particularly enthused and inspired to listen to it. I haven't listened to this album. Have you? So I have heard some of it. So some of the most egregious production choices, like with the uh, reverb drums and everything, have been removed. But it it hasn't improved matters. Like it's still it's still a mess because it's. They they haven't sorted out the amount of stuff going on, right? Okay, so that's that was one of the questions I was going to ask. So one of the things one of the things that you've said a couple of times is it just needed a, a more disciplined producer. But I guess you need that disciplined production whilst you're recording the thing, mm-hmm. rather than to go back and fix it later on. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree totally. Which is probably why Noel Gallagher's never gone back and fixed the entirety of Be Here Now because. Um, you can only roll the turd in glitter so many times. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. 
I'm going to leave the... So, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go into the, de- the legacy of David Bowie. Um, what I will say is this will be controversial to some listeners who uh, bang into Bowie. Personally, I don't think he learned his lesson from trying to ape and copy from the popular sounds of the day to make an album because I fucking hate Earthling. I think it's dreadful. I think the sort of faux drum and bass light elements of that are, are really irritating to me much as this album is. So that's just my view. I don't know what you think. I don't feel the same. I, th- I think that he he always kind of adapted and did his own thing with contemporary sounds of the day. I don't have as much problem with Earthling as you do. Okay, anyway, we're not talking about Earthling, and uh, God willing, we never will on Album Clash. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, although it would have to go some to be as uh, as lamentable as as this, <laughs> right? So I'm gonna just, I'm gonna leave the last word on legacy to uh, our friends at ChatGPT. What does the AI say about the legacy of Never Let Me Down? The album's legacy is mixed. It is seen by some as a disappointment, but others see it as an underrated gem. It is likely this legacy will continue to be debated for many years to come. Overall, Never Let Me Down is a flawed but underrated album. It is worth listening to for its production, performances and some of its catchy songs. In conclusion, Never Let Me Down may not have been David Bowie's greatest album, but it marked a return to music after a hiatus, which we've already described wasn't a hiatus, and saw Bowie experiment with new sounds and ideas. Its legacy lies in Bowie's willingness to try new things and push the boundaries of what was expected. So at least in that, ChatGPT agrees with you. (laughs) An underrated gem, according to the AI. Well, do you know what? Like, so I don't agree that it's an underrated gem, but there are there are lots of if you go through like some of the reviews and retrospectives, is that there are some people who are trying to rehabilitate the album. I do not know why. No, I absolutely do not know why either. So, um, okay. I, 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 Gonna call an end to proceedings very shortly, Kevin. So before <laughs> before we do, what's your best song? What's your worst song? So I'm gonna go with best song uh, because it's nuts. I'm gonna go with Glass Spider. Fuck off! I'd, I, I'm sorry. Like as I said, when we like there are bits in it that I like. That makes one of us. <laughs> um. Worst song now. This is very difficult. I'm gonna go, yeah, I'm gonna go with New York's In Love, um, because it's the most 80s, um, and has the worst production on it on an album with very bad production. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. Well, I'm gonna do my worst song first because there's fucking rich pickings here, and, and I need to, I need some time to think if I can choose a best song. I could choose almost anything as my worst song because I think I hate every track on this. I'm going to go with Shining Star, Making My Love, because it's comically poor. Also, it's got fucking Mickey Rock on it, so it deserves to be the worst song on the album. The best song... (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go the title track because... As I said, somewhere within there, there are some interesting parts. And that's the nicest thing that's I think I've said about do. any of the songs. It's the, it is, okay. it's the best I can do. Sorry. I, 
yeah, I, I hate this. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, I, I think we're done with Never Let Me Down. Never to be listened to again. Never to be listened to again. Bowie, you did let us down massively. Not only that, you let yourself down. And your school. <laughs> Peter Frampton's like dis- disavowed himself of you. <laughs> That's true. Oh, Christ. Um, Come on, let's go. Uh, what's going on on the internet? So, obviously, if you are aware that basically uh, since Elon has taken over Twitter, um, he's basically broken it and turned it even worse than it was before. So it is hard to find the good in Twitter, but I continue mining at the coalface just for you, dear listeners. And I found an absolutely brilliant post that uh, the band Witch Rot put up. And I'm just going to read. I think it was a Facebook post, but it was shared on Twitter, so that's why I'm going for it. Uh, So, due to the unfortunate reality of our guitarist fucking my girlfriend of almost seven years... (laughs) That's better. Witch Rot will be taking an extended hiatus. I, however, will continue the band in another space and time. Being right with hate, the music is slowly flowing and without doubt will become the most devastating, tortuous music I've ever created. Thanks for the support. Stay heavy, Peter. Also, our drummer died. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. (laughs) Oh. I mean, no one saw that coming. So, on Twitter, you can still find the odd gem. Um, You can find odd gems at our Twitter page, at Clash Album. You can find carefully curated quality content at our Insta, at Clash Album. Or if you want to send us some things that are going to make us smile um, and forget uh, the For You tab, send us an email to albumclash at gmail.com. Please do that. Uh, I'm toying with the idea of opening up a LinkedIn account in the name of Album Clash (laughs) uh, for no reason other than the fact that if we do we can start getting stuck into fucking Jake Humphreys and his high-performance bollocks. Well, I mean, we could just do that anyway. Fucking hate that prick. I really I, well, aggressively hate I, him. I dislike any of those kind of... Like, if you're not up at an hour before you went to bed and are in the gym, <laughs> then you're failing at life. No, I'm I'm enjoying the, the downtime, thanks very much. <laughs> I just... Oh, my God. Ugh, awful, awful man. Uh, right, okay, anyway, enough about the mouth from the south. Thank you very much for listening, guys. Yeah, as Kev said, please do follow us on the socials. Please um, like, subscribe, leave your positive reviews. I mean, you're leaving negative reviews if you want to, I suppose. But if you leave the five-star reviews, it does help the algorithms recommend the show to other people. You know, we, we do always appreciate our loyal listeners but you know new listeners are welcome too i mean and, maybe this is one for the bowie fans to have and you know well done well done to you listening to this and getting through getting through this album very much so well done and thank you so on that note so uh, we are recording this about three days after the darkness episode dropped and uh, there are already more listeners to that episode than I would have dreamt would have listened to it. So fair play to you. Well, I, I did say that there was the possibility that people would just want to hear us ranting. So. 
Uh, well, uh, if that's what you like, then you've heard plenty of it today. And, and I think you might be here next week. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Okay. I am going to go, however. Uh, so, all that is left for me to say is that I am, as always, Timothy. And I am the deeply disappointed man. <laughs> and we shall see you in a couple of weeks' time. Take care. Ta da. Ta da.